suture kit, sutures. We need a trauma kit, return kits, and SAM splints. They're under the first stretcher in ICU. All right, girls, let's go. So we need monitors. All right, so we have been sheltering in the basement for about an hour, maybe two hours. We're still sheltering in place. We're gonna all be conserving our drinking water and we're not exactly sure how long we'll be down here. But for now, everyone is doing really well. We're just um, sheltered and yeah, waiting to see when we get the all clear to disperse and go back up. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and last week we brought you inside our emergency field hospital in an undisclosed location of eastern Ukraine. We left off as our staff, less than 60 miles from the front lines, were frantically moving patients to a bunker during a bomb threat. And in this episode, we're jumping back into that story. Stephen describes the sights and sounds of the basement. The night was long and chaotic for the staff in the bunker, but once our security team back at the headquarters cleared our team, they were able to get upstairs and get back to work. Dr. Barb, it's been a little busier than I expected this morning. Um, what's the patient flow kind of looked like on your end? Um, we have had a steady stream of patients up until this time. You know, last night was a bit of a challenge. We had to take shelter. We had to pause operations here at the emergency field hospital. But thankfully, around 7 o'clock, we were able to get up and get back at it. Um, are you relieved? Are you glad we're seeing this patient flow today and that we're able to keep working and doing what we're here for? Oh, yeah. It's great to be able to, to do this. I was afraid it would be several days like the last time they had a shelter-in-place order. So this is really... Um, a blessing to be able to care for these people. And so, yeah, it's it's great. Next, Stephen talked with one of the many interpreters helping the hospital staff. Well, it's been a busy morning for you. Yes. You've been interpreting in our operation room. What's that been like today? Exactly, yeah. It was, uh, it was very important to be with patient during this procedure to explain what this guy in masks do at this moment and also you know, we're praying, we're always praying for this patient. It's sometimes too important to translate what surgeon says. Just explain that uh, surgeon just asked um, Jesus to provide his hand during this procedure. So you're actually, you're a medical student yourself. Um, you speak eight languages, as you told me the other day. And how do you feel being able to offer those interpretation services while also getting to watch medicine in action the way you're studying? I, I, I see it's a big gift from God for me being here to see all of these procedures. To The doctors teach me a lot of things. It's a big opportunity, huge experience remarkable experience so I, I just thank God for this uh, for these people for this organization for this mission these are just some of the many people who've sacrificed their own safety to serve with our team in part one of this mini series we featured the patients who relied on this hospital for health care if you haven't heard that episode I encourage you to go back it's powerful we'll link it in our show notes uh, but in this episode we're hearing from the staff the brave nurses, doctors, translators, and other team members who stepped out of their comfort zone to serve those in need. They're dedicated and passionate about their work, but also the gospel. And after sheltering in the bunker, they were eager to get back to work once security gave the all clear. 
Can you tell me what all has been happening today at the emergency field hospital? Um, so we've had the regular uh, check-ins for chest pain and blood pressure issues and things like that. We've had some wound rechecks and then we've had some acute gallbladder issues as well as post-surgery. Um, so that entails a lot of monitoring and stuff. So it's a good, it's a good busy morning seeing a lot of patients and making all of us very happy. That's right. Doing what we're supposed to be doing. Correct. Here. Correct. Awesome. It makes makes all of our hearts full, and we're like, this is this is good. This is what we like. We don't like them being sick, but we do like being here to help them. Absolutely. So yeah. Can you tell me your name and your role here at the hospital. My name is Tally, and I'm the charge nurse of the hospital. Awesome. And Tally, just it's about 10 a.m. now almost. Mm -hmm. How many patients would you say we've seen? So far today, uh, I would say at least 30, pushing probably around 30, maybe give or take a few. Okay, so yeah. about 30 in the first couple of hours is yeah. pretty significant. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good solid morning. Especially after last night, we had to bunker down. Yes. We didn't know what today would bring. Yes. Thankful we're operating full steam ahead and able to see these patients. Yeah, I think it uh, restores a lot of our. Um, just gumption to keep going. Um, we're actually really happy to be busy this morning and yeah, happy to be here, happy to serve. I just love that, gumption to keep going. The bravery of these doctors and nurses truly encourages me. Our teams often have verses uh, that they write throughout the hospital, they put on their shoes or their PPE to remind them to lift their eyes off their circumstances um, and onto the Lord. Um, God's Word truly sustains our team in really scary situations. And one passage that many team members have told me that they, they memorize is Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To get an idea of what our staff had to do to stay safe, Stephen joined the security manager for a ride along throughout the city. He described what it looked like when I talked to him. I talked with our security manager while we drove around, and the the scenes, I mean, we had been to central Ukraine, western Ukraine. It's, it's all horrific when a city is occupied or damaged in the war, but this place had been so looted, had been so decimated that it's amazing that there's still people even living there today. You can see right there is the minefield that was placed around the uh, uh, east side and the south side of the hospital. Well, yeah, so there's red signs yep. with a skull and crossbones on them, and that's letting people know, hey, don't enter this way, there's landmines. Right. Wow. I mean, they just destroyed these buildings in this area. So if you look over here towards the left, you see that church uh, Orthodox Church here. Yeah. This was a school right here, right? The Orthodox school? Yeah. This was the Orthodox school that they just destroyed. And you can see it to the left. You can see these apartment buildings here to the right where wow. they just shelled them in half, you know? Wow. So this is all civilian yeah. buildings. There's nothing military related to any of this infrastructure. None whatsoever. Apartments, schools, churches, just completely destroyed. Yeah. Wow. And if you look up here to your upper right here in a minute, you'll be able to see that city center. You just get a different look of 
the mass of destruction that they did in this side of the river. Yeah, there's a clear difference even just right now from the north end to here, right in the city center. I mean, it, and there's not a single building that's not been affected in some way. Yeah. Wow. Every aspect of life has been impacted. Most of the occupied city was destroyed with community centers, schools, playgrounds, hospitals, all targeted during the bombings. It's heartbreaking. I can't even think about my own community, what it would be like if everything was turned to rubble. And now these families have to worry about things like landmines and where they'll take their next step. There's truly no leisure or activities. They're simply surviving. And because of the ongoing safety threats, our staff had to be extra cautious. They had to leave their cell phones and electronic devices at another location hours away. Their only communication to loved ones was through a secured computer. Our member care department here at Samaritan's Purse, their job is really to ensure that staff are um, being cared for emotionally, spiritually, from a psychosocial perspective. The places that we work are really hard to be. Um, and so every day, we could type an email in a Word document on this standard, highly encrypted computer, and one member care person had an encrypted email that they were then able to review to make sure no sensitive information was shared, copy-paste, and send it to our loved ones back home. So my name is Brayden Power, and I am the medical information officer in this EFH. And so Brayden... We are not allowed to have a phone with us right now. It's a very high security response. We don't have laptops. We really don't have any way to talk to our families and friends, except for this one limited thing that we're doing right now. Can you tell me where I'm finding you this evening? Yeah, so you're just finding me in the corner of our commons area. Um, we just have a single laptop. It's a communal laptop that um, sits on all day and at any moment um, if someone has some time to come over they can go and write home um, on just put a text into a word document that eventually gets sent off to them later on and so who are you writing back home tonight so tonight I am writing my wife back home um, her name's Amanda um, just to keep her in the loop on how I'm doing and um, how things are going Without having any other form of communication, we've been able to really talk about our day-to-day -day lives and also just how we see God moving in this time, just trusting that um, I'm in God's hands and that He is taking care of me while I'm here. This was a unique situation for so many people, and being cut off from family and friends is always difficult, and I love the way that they were able to get news back home. And we really had no creative outlet on this response. And so I remember we had one um, physician's assistant. I talked to her my first night there, and she had actually written a poem mm -hmm. about the emergency field hospital because she said, you know, I don't have a camera, and I don't want to forget what God is doing here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to create a picture with words. Mm -hmm. And so our emergency field hospital was unique in the sense that it took place across four levels of this building. Usually it's maybe in like an open parking lot. Everything is visible. But for this hospital, we had a bunker where we stayed underneath the ground and slept every night. Our first floor, which had our triage, our operating room, our emergency room, um, and like intensive care for patients coming out of surgery. And then we had another level, which had a male and a female ward for patients who had to stay longer, um, as well as a COVID tent. In case any patients were to come through mm -hmm. with COVID, they would have a separate isolated place that they could still receive treatment without getting others sick. 
Um, and then also on the top floor is where we had our devotions. It's where we ate our meals together as a staff. Um, it's where we had our base supplies. So you can go and get a snack if you need it or um, just take some time to sit and read in between your shift. So it was a really unique hospital. And it took 83 steps to get from the bunker to the mm. common room. And so this the physician's assistant, she wrote this amazing poem just about what it was like serving in this city. And it's called 83 Steps. So this is my picture uh, made with words. The city surrounds us, burnt, nearly destroyed. The hollowed out buildings, the pits to avoid. The curtains that flutter through broken out panes that let in the cold and the wet when it rains. Remind us that once there were families She goes on to inside, say, remind us that once there were families inside with lives, they were living and friends to abide. Um, and even though everything in the city has changed, there were still signs of life and how things used to be. If you would like to read her entire poem, we will include it in our show notes and on our website at SamaritansPurse.org slash on the ground. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to the world to run into danger. Uh, we don't go in without the hope of Jesus Christ. The world would say it's not worth the risk, but our teams are showing that, that they love using their skills and showing the love of Christ, and this is what motivates them during their deployment. And I know I've shared this in past episodes before, but, but anytime I have loved ones in danger, I pray Psalm 91 over them, that they would be protected in the midst of a storm. Uh, and as we talked to our teams throughout this episode, I, they were so encouraged and they were hopeful, even though their circumstances were dark. They truly clung to God's word. And so I want to read Psalm 91, just a first few verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And this is what we're seeing our teams live out. Their dependence and their shield is in the Lord. How does that feel for you this morning to be doing what you were sent for? I am glorifying God. That's what we're here for. And so I'm grateful that we've got some procedures because this is the first real operating day since this week has started. And I wasn't, I know it sounds quite strange, but I wasn't scared last night because I know that we're in God's hands and we are in the Lord's will He's brought us here. We're in obedience to him. So he's in control of all things. He's the creator of the universe. So. That's right. Yeah, that's he knows right. what he's doing. Absolutely. We're not in control. He is. And Absolutely. that's exactly where we need to be. Absolutely. Yeah. If I had a direct line to your family through these headphones or your friends, what would you want to say to them this morning before going into your second surgery? Just keep praying. Um, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't fear for my safety or for our safety. Just trust in God. Trust, stand on His word. Stand on His promises. God cannot lie. God it cannot fail Himself. We pray daily, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we truly believe that, then we need to trust that He's in control and He knows what He's doing. So continue to pray. These DART members, they truly live out their faith, and they serve in challenging and dangerous conditions. And this requires total dependence on the Lord. Uh, they live this out, and I know you'll hear it throughout this episode, but one of my favorite examples of this in the Bible is 2 Chronicles 20. 
and they, they call out to God and they say, we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. Uh, the, the people of God were in such dependence, looking to him for, for what to do in uncertainty. And that is what our teams do time and time again. And I love how God answers in this chapter. Second Chronicles 20:15 says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And, and God gives direction. And I love how our teams are so reliant on the Lord and they're obedient to follow him, no matter how scary the circumstances look. God is preparing our teams to serve in the midst of danger. Can you tell me what inspired you to come here to such a, a high-risk environment? Uh, in the military, I prepared for things like this. I didn't think twice about the risk. Wow. You know, I just felt like I know they're going to be wise, discretionary, and if it's God's time, I'm ready. That's you know, right. I'd, I'd much rather serve the Lord till my last day, and whatever that is, that's God's that's God's plan. Bob, how long have you been here at this emergency field hospital? Just about four weeks. Four weeks, okay. And how much longer do you have? Just three days. Okay, you're in your last three days, your last leg. Yeah. Um, what has the experience been like as a nurse for you here? Seeing all kinds of different things was interesting. I, I, most of my nursing experience has been right down this alley, though. Mm -hmm. I work all kinds of floors, mm -hmm. so I'm just prepared for about anything, really. Yeah. And uh, just to work with the people, see the appreciation. Um, we feel so inadequate being here to serve them. Mm -hmm. They've experienced so much. Mm -hmm. But we know more than anything, they need God's love and they need God's forgiveness because we can heal their bodies. I mean, God can heal their bodies, but if they don't come to know the Lord, they're still going to die and not be with the Lord. Yeah. So we just try to really love on them and share when we have opportunities and um, just let them know that they're special. Mm -hmm. And God brought us here for this time for this reason. That's right. You know, yeah, that's right. And if we can touch one life, it'd be worth it all. That's right. You know, yeah. These nurses left their homes and family. They traveled far away to serve in the midst of danger. And you can hear it in their accents. They're coming from all over the world, different walks of life, but they're all on the same mission. They're motivated to use their medical skills to help people physically, but more importantly, to share the gospel. They often take the opportunity to pray for their patients. We thank you for what you have done and what you are going to do. Father, I ask that you would give the surgeons wisdom to, to do the surgery on your leg. I, ask I love hearing our staff members pray. Leg, this was Maureen Father, praying over a woman who was about to receive surgery for a shrapnel wound. Next, I want you to hear from one of our medical interpreters. She's Ukrainian, and so she has a personal take on the situation. I've been here for almost three weeks by now, but it feels much more in a good way because I'm happy to be here and help you guys. I love what she had to share. This is her home, her community, and now she's working alongside our doctors to help her own neighbors. I really love my country. Um, I think the hardest thing for me was not being able to uh, contact any of my uh, family members or uh, relatives just to check up on them. Because on the 6th of uh, March, I lost the connection with the world. And after that, I felt like I lived in this information vacuum. So the only thing you could do is just actually pray and hope that God uh, can help to bring Ukraine back. Wow. It's just hard to explain. It's just, it seems like 
you can just hope and wait but if it's just like for like six months in a row and every single day you get no information um you kind of you you hope without hope it just really hurts me that people die and we can always renovate rebuild the buildings it hurts me to see my city being ruined but it's just that these people are gone and so that was the hardest thing what were the conditions like for you and your family I think the cold and the dark were some of my biggest struggles. We would spend the first three months, so it's um, March, April, and May, in a bomb shelter because it was safer and, uh, yeah, it was warmer there. But when it was rainy or cold, you cannot actually stay outside. Mm -hmm. So you have to go in a bomb shelter. But since there is no power, you're constantly in the dark. And it's like it's really dusty in there because the floor is like is covered with sand. She went on to share what it was like to live in an occupied city without medical assistance. She felt like her own health was declining uh, while repeatedly taking shelter in dark, dusty bomb shelters. That's why we really appreciate you guys being here and bringing so much uh, medical support and actually emotional support. Like every single patient and working here, I know it for a fact that every patient says, like, people are sunny here. I know that maybe you're concerned with what, what's going on with us, but you still find strength to smile, and people really appreciate that. Nobody expected that it would last, like, for six months. Mm-hmm. Hearing the news about people dying uh, or being injured all the time, I, I never realized the scale of it. You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of something and it's just so close, you don't fully uh, feel the the level of it, the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Also seeing everything falling apart, you know, your hometown, like places you would normally go to, all of all of it is destroyed. Like even now, when I walk around the city, I saw all these destroyed buildings for so many times. Her love for her country is so clear in this conversation. She told Stephen that she felt useless when the conflict started. She wanted to help her people. And now, with Samaritan's Purse, she's able to make a greater impact for her country. So now, finally, I get to maybe do my tiny share, just helping here. Just like I was saying, I think the most important groups of people who, uh, whose stories need to be heard are our heroes, medical workers of all kinds, regardless if they are from Ukraine or like yourselves from, from the global community, um, and also volunteers, because volunteers help so much. You know, we at Samaritan's Purse, we couldn't run this hospital if it wasn't for locals like you who know the Ukrainian language, but more than that, know the Ukrainian culture and the Ukrainian people here. Um, You know how to help us speak to them so that they get the best care that they need so that we're meeting physical needs, but also spiritual needs. I wanted to ask you with that, how did you come to find out about Samaritan's Purse, about the hospital, and what has your experience serving with us looked like? Well, I heard that there is a hospital and I really wanted to go and just to meet people. It's just really brave, I think, of you guys, even though every single doctor or person from the staff staff tells me that, um, well, we are not brave, we are just doing what God told us. And it is true, I believe, but it's also, I think, quite courageous of you guys to be here and we really appreciate it. It's not taken for granted. It's always humbling to hear from those that are serving with us. Before the conflict, this interpreter was an English teacher and a journalist, and now she's taken on a role that I'm sure she never could have imagined. It goes to show that that many different kinds of people unite together to help in Jesus' name. They're all committed to the gospel and to loving people well in the midst of heartache. 
Since the conflict began in February 2022, Samaritan's Purse has been on the ground, loving and serving families in need. But it's not just through medical care. Since the beginning, we've distributed more than 120 million pounds of food and deployed over 600 staff members. And now in the middle of winter, the needs are getting even worse. And so we're providing winterization kits and wood stoves to help protect the most vulnerable during this season. Uh, And in the midst of so much need, it's easy to lose hope. Jesus is our only hope. And as you've heard from our staff repeatedly, He's the reason that we have anything to offer. When I think of our team, I think of Romans 15, 13, that says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we featured the staff members who have made this hospital possible. And last week, we brought you stories from the patients themselves, the patients that survived this occupied city. If you didn't catch that episode, again, I encourage you to go back and listen. You can find this episode by searching On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or by going to samaritanspurse.org slash on the ground. And this particular field hospital is no longer active, but Ukrainians are still suffering all over the country. Samaritan's Purse is still on the ground, loving and serving hurting families. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your prayers. God bless you.